John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Hi, this is Steve. When John and I started this podcast, we had absolutely no idea where it was going. The fact is, most podcasts don't make it out of the first year, and some don't even finish out the first month. Honestly, if you had told me that five years and 249 episodes later, we'd not only still be working on the same show, but that we'd actually built this incredible community of film lovers who are excited to go on this journey with us. All of which brings us to this week and our 250th episode. And no, I am not doing another documentary like I did last year. That thing almost broke me. Instead, John and I are going live this Sunday at 5 p.m. Pacific time on our YouTube channel to celebrate our 250th episode and answer your questions about film, the podcast, and, well, anything else you want to know. We'll be taking questions live as usual, but you can also send in your questions in advance via email to thecinephiles1941 at gmail.com. That's thecinephiles1941, the year of Citizen Kane, at gmail.com. And if you happen to support the show on patreon.com slash thecinephiles, right now you could be listening to John and I discuss a cinephile short on those unlikely Hollywood success stories, the athletes or musicians who turn out to be pretty good actors, or anybody else that surprises us with just how successful they can become. So, that's Unlikely Success Stories on Patreon and our 250th episode Q&A this Sunday at 5 p.m. on our YouTube channel. Hope to see you then. Just keep jamming. I don't know. I just keep jamming to it. I know. Uh, welcome, everybody, to this special 250th episode of The Cinephiles. We're going live yet again, back-to-back live shows here on The Cinephiles YouTube channel. We're so excited to jump into and answer all your questions that you've sent us uh, for our patrons, our viewers, our listeners, our fans, all of it. We're going to have a nice mishmash of questions. But let's first introduce ourselves for those, some of you that may have stumbled onto this channel <laughs> and are trying it out for the first time. I am the outlaw, John Roca. I'm one of the co-hosts of The Cinephiles podcast, along with this gentleman here, Steve Morris. How are you? 
I'm pretty good. You know, it's so weird. I can't believe we've made it to 250. There's so there's so many yeah. podcasts that I listen to where I go, oh man, they're at 300 episodes. They're at the, man, this <laughs> this podcast been around a long time, and then I'm like, oh wait. <laughs> been around a long time there we have yeah and, and we've we've reviewed we've uh you know dive dove deep into so many movies our podcast has changed so much from when we started steve you know we found ourselves entertaining the idea of going back and revisiting some of these movies that we mm-hmm. did at the beginning to give them a little more life we did die hard recently that way which a lot of people really loved our deep dive back into die hard so that's certainly something that we will uh, I'm sure we'll be opening the door to as we go along here on the show. But what what do you think now, Steve? 250th episode, 250 episodes. What's your feeling about the cinephiles now? About the show now? About the podcast now? Where are you about this show? I I I'm I'm going to say it. it's going to sound weird the way I'm, I'm going to say it, but okay. at least at this moment, this is what I do. You know what I mean? Like, like I I stopped teaching uh, during COVID and I'll probably go back to teaching. Hmm. Um, I have another, you know, screenplay that I've been working on, but, and and the book for about directing I've been working on, but the main work that I do at this point is the cinephiles and enterprise incidents. And and the thing about it is it's work I'm pretty proud of, you know? And so there's a big difference between, writing something that maybe no one will ever read or a film that no one's going to ever make and yeah. doing this thing that I do with you every single week. Yeah. And every single week we put out material, which most of the time I'm proud of. There've been very, very few episodes mm. that went out that I went, uh, I don't know how I feel about that. And I'll tell you the, one of the weird things is that mm. even episodes that occasionally I'm less excited about, yeah, there's still people that really like them, which is always. <laughs> yeah. I was like, "Oh, great! That people like that one. Fine, that's good." How about it's, you? What's this? What's well? It's, it's you know, I've gone through so many different stages with the show. You know, when we first started out, I was incredibly busy doing so many things, and I think that's changed. But like, no. this was more a matter of like, this was going to be fun. This is going to be a lark, hanging out with my friend, talking of, talking about films. A, a person whose opinion I've always enjoyed and always respected, and so great. It's fun. An hour out of my week, no big deal. And then the then the the show began to change and began to morph and became became uh, bigger and more people demanded a different. But you wanted to change how we approached it and how much deeper we went. So it became something that acquired more of my time. And then initially, I was a bit resistant to that because of so many other things that were going on. But then, just like everything else, right? You just fall back in love with it as you do it more and more. And now it's just become something that is a staple of my life and that I really enjoy doing and i enjoy like discovering the new things about film i enjoy discovering things in the moment i enjoy hearing your points of view i enjoy the things you discover in the moment i enjoy hearing our guests i i love impressing our guests i mean i think nothing nothing moves me more than impressing our guests with our analysis our impromptu analysis sometimes or our measured you know planned out analysis i love that we can do that and uh, it makes me feel like we are doing something good in the world and getting the responses from the fans now that have, who have begun sorry been with us for so long, seeing how they have come to really appreciate and enjoy what we do, uh, and our Patreon keeps increasing more and more as more people discover us, more people really appreciate the content we're putting out. All of that makes me feel very happy. And today, as I was reading through some of the questions to prepare for the show, it made me feel like Jesus. For all we've done. 
We've still barely scratched the <laughs> effing surface of so many incredible movies and genres and directors and experiences. And so to me, I'm like, as much as we've done, we still haven't done shit. And that's incredible. That makes me feel like there's so many, there's so much farther to go on this mountain or on this path. And that excites me, which means there's more people to bring into the fold and have fun with us on the cinephiles. I, I, I think assuming nothing goes wrong, there's going to be some centenarian cinephiles <laughs> who are still oh, trying God. to get through all the movies. Um, yeah, I think, well, I think, frankly, what we do is unique. I don't yeah. think, I mean, there are tons of podcasts that talk about films, but I don't yeah. think anybody talks about films the way we do. I mean, I really, yeah. you know, and I'm not trying to say that out of uh, bragging. It's not mm. like that's not a thing I like to do, but the the we are trying to do a thing that is very different because yeah. you think about the length of a you know someone gets on a show and they go this is how i felt about this movie and they talk for a little bit of time but right. it isn't the kind of deep analysis what i would call exhaustive analysis sometimes <laughs> exhausting analysis of like yeah. we want to go that by the time we get done to talking about this movie, that that is the definitive conversation. That yeah. This is the, we have gone deeper and in more detail than anybody else could. Mm -hmm. And that's really, really different. And I couldn't agree more because of one of the problems, by the way, is the deeper we go and the longer the episodes, the fewer movies we do. Yeah. You know, yeah, so yeah. the first year of the cinephiles were before we ever did a two-parter, we did 50 movies. Yeah, you know yeah, that's a right. That's a good point. We did fifty movies. Yeah, yeah, and and this year I haven't counted, but it it ain't fifty. Right, you know? right, 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 I right. Mean, but yeah, but that's the demands of the show now is that um, the audience wants to hear us breaking down every minutia that we can about the movie because we have trained the audience to expect that from us right. now. So there's a requirement that we have as uh, people who come to record an episode of a movie to really break it all down, see what's co the connective tissues. And when we miss something, um, I know that later on when I read another analysis or I hear someone make an offhand comment or read even one of our incredibly knowledgeable fans comments yeah. that point out something we might've skipped or missed. I go, God, damn it. We should have thrown <laughs> it. How do we miss that? But then I mean, you think you, you forget about the 100 other things that we've talked about on the show, but it's that one extra thing. And so you say to yourself, no matter how much we dive into it, there's still something to be uh, weaned or discovered or found out as you dive into a movie. And that's why uh, the genre of film is so incredible and so uh, enticing when we talk about it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. If, if the cinephiles were to go on forever, uh, which it won't because eventually we'll die. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but if I will die. Go on... Steve will do a wind talkers episode after I die. That's in honor <laughs> oh of me. But yes, go ahead. <laughs> um, but eventually, like, we could go back and redo all the movies we've done again because True. we would have changed and yes. we would see new things. Right. You know, like that's that's, that's yeah, that's the nature of great great films. Yeah, and uh, Chris Delgado throwing us a very kind compliment. Says, I listen to so many podcasts about movies like Unspool, Blank Check, and How Did This Get Made, and none of them do a bit as big a deep dive as you two. That's that's high praise. Yeah, absolutely. Nick, Nick Cage might say high praise. Um, all right, so tonight what we're going what we asked for is uh, for people to send in questions that we could talk about here on the show and answer here on the show. And so we are going to go through these questions, each of us taking a question one at a time. 
and uh, answering it for you all. And uh, for those of you who are, you know, who want to send in your questions, you can send in your questions through Streamlabs or Super Chat. That's how we're going to answer your questions tonight. The Streamlabs address is in the description of the video. It's pinned in the chat already, and I'll bring it up here as a banner as we go along as well. So for anybody who wants to send in a Streamlabs or Super Chat, with your question, those are the ones that we're going to give priority here on the show, as well as our questions that we already picked out to talk about on the show here tonight. So sit back, relax, let's have fun, let's talk about it all, and let's answer some of these questions and have some fun uh, discussing all of it. Steve, uh, anything else we need to say before we start? No, I think you said it all beautifully. Okay. Uh, do you want me to? I, 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 yes, I've please. got a question. You want me to go for it? Okay. I would love this it. first question comes from Sebastian Larios. He okay. says, Hi, John and Steve. He says, I'm a film student from Honduras, currently based in Munich, which I think wow. is fascinating. Yeah. Okay. And he says, before you read my question, I'd just like to say thank you for your amazing podcast. It's by far the best analysis-oriented show I've ever heard. And sometimes I learn even more from listening to you guys discuss a film than a lecture in film school. Well, oh. that is high praise, Sebastian. Thank you very much. And he also says, I just really love how honest both of you are when it comes to talking about your feelings and emotions regarding movies. Hmm. Um well, thank you. And, uh, you know, frankly, that's something that I've really learned from working with John over the years is that the more honest we can be and the more, the better the show is, you know, yeah, the more vulnerability. Um, people connect to that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he and he says, here's my question. Have either of you ever fallen out of love with film, be it from mm. bad experiences in the film world, perhaps finding something else that interested you more than movies at some point or just in general tiredness of doing the same <laughs> thing repeatedly? So what was it that brought uh, back, brought you back to the film world. And he says it happened to him. He decided to take a different career path, but then at the beginning of 2021, uh, decided to start watching one movie every day. That decision didn't last long as three months into it, I decided to stop doing it because it started to feel more like an obligation than a hobby. Mm. But nevertheless, those three months and all the new stuff I saw were enough to revamp my love for movies and wake up my passion for making movies once again. Wow. John, have you ever fallen out of love with the film world yeah i will say this and an honest uh, uh really open as, as steve said being vulnerable ability really being really open and honest towards the tail end of my time at collider i really fell out of love i wasn't watching movies for fun anymore movies had become a requirement and i really don't like being told what to do them not the outlaw because i enjoy being told what to do you know and so it it i hated that i had to go to some of these screenings that i didn't want to go to because i wasn't in the mood to see those movies at that time but those are the screenings you have to go to. that's your job and you have to come back and review it and so sometimes i found myself being like the last thing i want to do is put on a movie when i'm home the last thing i want to do and then add to that the schmodown and the schmodown is telling me to study certain movies to compete in with, right. on, on certain categories and i have made it a point my whole life my whole career rather in the schmodown to never watch a movie for the schmodown i never wanted to soil the game by forcing myself to watch a movie that I would have never watched anyway. And I've said, if I lose on a movie I've never watched before, then so be it. And I've lost matches on movies I've never watched before, like The Witch with Black Phillip and other things. I just didn't want to force myself to do that. It was too much of myself to give to something that although I love doing it, I just felt like it would ruin my love. So the combination of those things really made film start to be exhaustive for me, right? I looked forward to doing the cinephiles, but because that was fun and us breaking it down analysis with a friend, that was great. But the other things felt like requirements. And so when you start to make it feel that way, film can lose its luster. And I think the, you know, the unfortunate of uh, letting me go at Collider and then me moving away from the Schmodown this year has kind of reawoken 
my desire to go back and start watching movies again for fun, not fully. I'm still kind of navigating my way out of like the water to stick my head out again to start rewatching some movies. But that's how it goes. You know, movies are great like that. You go up and down all the time. Um, it's I'm, I'm going to separate it out into two things because there's mm. falling out of love with film yeah. and falling out of love with the film world. Okay. I am out of love with the film industry. Okay. I, the, that sure. is gone. Like, and the, when it, it really, really, and John can, because we've had this conversation so many times off mic For sure. is, is I got so sad and depressed mm-hmm. banging my head against the wall, trying to get a film made and everything. It was all about everything I hated. It was all about networking and who you knew and sales and just yeah. a ton of bullshit. And that bullshit it was terrible. I mean, like mm-hmm. the, the this Hollywood, and I'm sure John agrees with me, is not a nice place. It doesn't no. treat people well. It can be it's tough. Not, yeah, it's not based on hard work or talent. As much as those things matter, right. they, they aren't the things that matter most. So, like, my love for the film industry died a long time ago and has not come back. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of why I love doing the podcast is that we're yeah. doing a thing on our own. Yes. Um, as far as my love for film, when I did the quality control well i think film school killed some of my love for film mm-hmm. because it made because you, you sort of and i think this is natural that as you stop being you start trying to be a professional mm-hmm. you kind of stop being a fan on some level mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it's like when you you know it's like when you figure out how is the thing made you're thinking yes. more about the nuts and bolts than you are thinking about just sitting back and letting the film wash over you right. and then i did that quality control job on dvds that you did yes and that meant watching the same movie over and over and over again with you know norwegian subtitles and you know <laughs> hebrew audio German. and yeah, yeah yeah and it was just like that tagalog that <laughs> and, uh, yeah. yeah and occasionally that there would be a movie where I, every time i watched it, it i loved watching it mm-hmm. but a lot of times there were movies where it's just like oh my god and and it just became a chore yeah and i think i think in a weird way the cinephiles has, has reawakened a certain kind of passion it, it's channeled my passion for film with my passion for making film yeah and the craftsmanship of film and making our thing you know that we do every week has really reignited some of that passion for me yeah yeah for sure um uh, jason mcdonald says cinephiles has made me suck less as a writer i love the analysis and love the show that's a great compliment that's great and and jason you know keep at it there is no it's so amazing that in my mid 50s now i am still learning lessons about writing <laughs> you know you just continue to learn about it that's great I think goldman said that too he'd still be learning into his 70s or 80s whenever he was that he passed away he said he was still learning about writing at that age so yeah it's it's a monster it's a beast um all right should we move on to our next one from sebastian alex sullivan is our next one here alex says dear john and steve i have long admired the fact that you guys have the best film analysis of any uh, analysis of any podcast anywhere thank you alex so well articulated now to my question in the future when you guys discuss more films from female filmmakers who are you more likely to discuss Sophia Coppola, Jane Campion, or Catherine Bigelow? Thanks, Alex. All right, Steve, what do you think? Uh, my answer would be yes, mm-hmm. um, is that we should talk about all three of them. Yes. Um, I think of those three, hmm, they're all, re- they're really interesting. I don't, I don't have a choice. Do you have a choice of which one you'd uh, want to? 
Well, I'm not that familiar with Jane Campion's stuff, so it, it would be challenging to watch her stuff and kind of get acquainted with her stuff for sure. Uh, Catherine Bigelow, I think there's two, that two or three that might be in play, mm-hmm. but I think Sofia Coppola is where I would go first for Lost in Translation. Lost in um, Translation is great, right? Yeah. To see that one, um, there was a couple other ones uh, I loved. Somewhere, the one she did with Stephen Dorff and. Uh, um, Oh, what's the actress's name? I forget. She was in The Great, and she's the daughter of Dakota L. Fanning. With L. Fanning, I thought that was a fantastic film as well. And she's done a few films as a director that really uh, establish herself. But, I mean, Catherine Bigelow, for us, Steve, really fits the cinephiles. We could do Point Break. We could do The Hurt Locker. We can do, uh, was it After Dark? There's a lot of places we can go with Bigelow that could be a lot of fun for us and satisfy our fans who enjoy our indulging of the not necessarily classic films while also indulging the best picture films that we do sometimes on the show. So, yeah, I mean, Bigelow seems to be like the the choice that fits best for us. But, I mean, I could see me pushing for Sofia Coppola or you pushing for Sofia Coppola possibly. Um, absolutely. Should, should we move on to our next one? Yeah, let's do it. All right. This is from TJ Harden. TJ says, hey, guys, love your show. Been listening since the Superman episode. That's like... Ooh. Wow. Our second second episode third Jesus. episode right at the beginning wow and have loved every show uh okay he has an exception not a fan <laughs> of the ghostbusters show um uh so i'm a big fan of the thin man and the films of the golden age of film i know you just did duck soup are there any other films from that period you'll be doing anytime soon like the thin man or maltese falcon thanks uh and keep doing what you're doing i, mm. I think we've talked a lot about wanting to do more That's films true. from that era definitely yeah um i've never watched the thin man films oh wow yeah that's a big hole in my repertoire Mm -hmm. i know they're supposed to be great i've never done them yeah william powell and myrna loy yeah i i I think i I went on a like sometimes tcm does those festivals on the day of and they show all the thin man back to back that was nice to have on in the background i don't know if i feel the reverence for them that some other people do but could be fun for us to tackle it as something new, something challenging for us to to explore. There's a number. I mean, we haven't done. It happened one night. But we haven't. Yep. We still haven't done the Wizard of Oz, which is half black store, uh, half black and white, half uh, color. We haven't done the Philadelphia story. That's something that we could explore. Rebecca. We haven't done a lot of black and white Hitchcock stuff. Hitchcock stuff. Maltese Falcon. We've done Casablanca. We've done It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, did we do the Third Man? I feel like we did the Third Man. We did right? the Third Man. Yeah. Okay. We haven't done um, all about Eve. That's another one that could be great black and white as well. No, there's there, there, there's a ton from that era that we haven't yeah. done. Um, yeah. uh, we, one I know we will never do because you will never watch it is How Green Was My Valley. Uh, um, no, I have put it on my list, Steve. It is on the oh, yeah? TCM, so I recorded it. I am absolutely going to watch that movie for sure. And if It's I, good. If, if it's good, then I say we can have the discussion. I think it'd be perfect. Yeah, you know that's such a it's such a funny one because it's you know it's it's it doesn't it's not Citizen Kane right but it's but it's a good movie, (laughs) um yeah so absolutely uh absolutely we do want to do more of those actually I'm really curious of the people out there who listen to the show oh yeah we've done a bunch of older movies recently and I wonder how people are feeling about it if they're enjoying it if they want more of that that's a great thing to find out. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 an excellent point. Because if 
if the downloads for it are high, if people are really asking for these movies, then certainly we'll start adding them even more to our schedule for sure. And Steve knows, and Steve has said, you know, I push for us to to go back in time yeah. and rewatch these movies because I love these classic movies. But I also understand, like, you know, the way our schedule works. We have to kind of work around what we're doing and people dying and what we've got to kind of put out already. And we've planned out all the way to the end of the year. So all our movies have been selected, uh, at least at this point, to the yeah. end of the year. So we'll see as we go into next year what uh, black and white movies may be popping well, up for it, us to explore. And look at the look at the trouble we're already in. We're we're just a few minutes into yeah. our QA. We've already got three directors to talk about. Yes. We just named a whole bunch of classic films to talk about. Like yeah. this is ha- this is half our year if yeah. we were just to do this. It's true. You know? That's a very good point. Especially the deep dives that we're doing now for sure. Yeah. Um all right, let's move on to the next one. Yes. Yes. All right. Movie Buff 94 AK Craig says, Greetings from Sydney, Australia. My name is Craig. Been listening to the show since the beginning and I've loved the journey so far. Quick question. Do you guys have a movie that you didn't love when you first saw it, but watched it later in life and changed your mind about it? Mine is Inception. Although I don't love it, I really didn't like it at all in theaters and grew to appreciate it. And now I like it a lot. Steve? Um, the two big ones for me are both ones we've done on the cinephiles okay. they're movies that i saw them in the theater and went okay right. and then at that dvd job was forced to watch them over and over again <laughs> and every time i where some movies got worse every time i watched them these got better and they are rushmore oh and the yeah. big lebowski you know saw mm-hmm. i saw lebowski in the theater and it was you know the movie after fargo and i was yeah. like well that's that's an okay movie it's not as good as fargo it's kind of weird yeah. and then the more i watched you know lebowski every single time i watched it i went holy shit this movie is great and the same thing with rushmore the more i paid attention to rushmore the more i fell in love with it yeah um i have to say i'm in steve's camp with lebowski i the first time i saw in the theaters i didn't know what everyone was crowing about i was like yeah this is fine this is cool no big deal but it wasn't until i went to steve knows this story it wasn't until i went to austria and had that kind of uh story with that girl that i met on the chat room right that's when I f- saw Lebowski through her eyes sitting in an outdoor theater in in a makeshift alley uh, with a beer in my hand and uh, the girl next to me and and watching it and watching her enjoy it. Then the discussion we had afterwards, that completely changed my point of view on the movie. And now when I've watched it, every single time I've watched it, I've appreciated more and more the comedy, the subtle stuff that's going on. Yeah the stark nature of the emotional twists and turns of the movie overall and what the movie's trying to say. Um, and another movie from my own experience is Casino. I didn't, I hated Casino the first time yeah. I saw it because I wasn't a big fan of Sharon Stone and I wasn't a big fan of what they were doing with this. And I didn't understand why this character would, you know, kind of throw his life away over this crazy woman. But as you, but as you get older and you go through your own experiences, you watch this movie <laughs> from a different point of view. And I really love this movie now. In fact, I love the, the bloopers and the deleted scenes. Don Rickles giving De Niro shit. If you haven't watched right. that on YouTube, watch it. So that's certainly uh, two films that qualify for me in that in that respect. Yeah. Um, our next question is from Valerie Yoder, who says, happy 250th episode. And and this is a question about the union. This is mm. what, what are your experiences working with the union? Do you support the IATSE strike? Uh, and Valerie writes, recently, social media has brought to my attention the unsafe working conditions on some film sets and low pay. Have you ever struggled with? Uh, work-life balance in the industry. Thank you very much. I'm going to start with the last part of the question first. Sure. Have I ever studied and work, struggled with work-life balance? 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> John, what do you think about this? Oh, yeah. Listen, uh, being on sets and seeing the amount of work that these guys and girls do on set, these men and women, the amount of hours that they put in as camera assistants, as PAs, as second unit directors, as anything, gaffers, whatever, um, it's incredible the amount of hours. And when the actors sit around in the trailer working on our lines, getting ourselves ready, you know, um, it's the it's the uh, uh, the production people who are working on the set constantly. And so uh, I'm always amazed at how many hours they when you go home for the night, the production staff is sticking around longer to make sure they're preparing everything for the next day. So it's a lot that they ask of them. But yes, I think the studios have lived off the fact that there's been this pressure within these or within these film sets to go and work those 18 hours or work the 20 hours or do whatever the just to get just to hit that deadline just to get it done and blah 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 and so i like that the unions are fighting back a little bit i like that they're asking for better treatment better wages better everything because yes these studios are making money hand over fist and especially with streaming services they're really trying to shortcut a lot of the people in production and editing and all that stuff they're trying to shortcut them all and lowball them by claiming they can't possibly know how much they're making off whenever a studio plays stupid never fucking believe them okay <laughs> they're always aware of how much money to the cent that is being spent on what and that they're making it's their job to know so i appreciate that the, uh that the iotsi organization the union is is calling these studios out once and for all asking for better uh um, wages and work conditions for their people and steve i i can't help but think it's connected to the fact that there's been such an increase in production uh on all these uh, uh studios and all these channels like apple tv and streaming services they all want to do so much original content that there's more demand now so there's uh, longer hours for these people to work so I, I understand that business is about making money and that you, mm -hmm. you want the lowest cost on everything that you deal with as a, as a business. I get that. But yeah. I echo everything you had to say, John. I think there is such a split yeah. in the way the, the industry thinks about above the line, quote unquote, above the line people like actors and writers and yeah. cinematographers and directors and thinking about, quote unquote, below the line. These are terms I don't actually like because, mm -hmm. in my opinion, Everyone on the set is valuable. And yeah. so it's like you're going, okay, yeah, I'm going to pay a million dollars to this actor on this project, but I'm not going to, but I'm, but I'm going to fight tooth and nail to not give a decent wage to someone who's working ridiculously hard and ridiculous long hours. Yeah. And, and for those of you who don't know, part of what this is about is when these contracts were locked in, mm -hmm. the, the streaming services were brand new, you know, mm -hmm. and yeah. that. The idea was, well, this is experimental. We don't quite know how much money it's going to make. We don't know what it is. So we're not going to pay you right. the same for working on something for a streaming service that we would for working on a regular network TV show or something. Right. Well, today, that is not the case. <laughs> they are spending millions oh, and yeah. millions. of. It's not like when I was making Siren, you know, that was my own little video. Yeah, right. I couldn't afford to pay IATSE for that. This is, we're talking about networks that are spending you know i don't remember how much they're spending on the on the lord of the rings stuff at amazon oh, yeah. but it's 100 million you know, yeah it's insane yeah. amounts of yeah. money it is and, and and if you haven't been on the, a film set i'm not going to say that working on a movie set is the hardest job in the world but 
there are very few jobs where the assumption is you're going to work a 12 hour day. Yes. Minimum. Yes. That is the assumption. These are people that work extremely long hours and sometimes it'll be a 14 hour day or a 16 mm -hmm. hour day. And they work under difficult conditions because maybe you're out in the rain or in the mm -hmm. snow or in the fucking heat where it's 120 and you know or you're in a location where you have to turn off the ac in the middle of a 110 degree day in los angeles in a garage yeah. and it's 135 degrees where you're working all day 12 hours plus yeah. like yeah. these are really really hard jobs these are incredible professionals with incredible skills and i i just it is so disrespectful to me you know like the value of of the of the dolly grip is he as important as george clooney Okay, maybe he's not, but mm. a great dolly grip is an amazing, amazingly skilled craftsman, and yeah. they should get paid well. That's what I think. Yeah, and it, and this change should go hand in hand with the destruction of this <clears throat> peer pressure that can sometimes be on a set to make people feel guilty for for having life commitments outside of the set, like babies, like children, like wives, like uh, other meetings, like other things going on, or mental health struggles. Uh, and don't want to put themselves through 16 to 18 hours on a set or 14 hours on a set. So here's the deal. If you're asking for better wages, great. But by the same token, stop browbeating other people who can't give that extra 12 to 14 hours mm. and still appreciate the work you're they're doing as well. It's This is not innocence versus, this is not good versus evil necessarily. This is more a matter of, okay, I want this. Great, we'll give you this. But by the same token, you have to do work within your own union to make sure there isn't a peer pressure here to browbeat people into forcing them into living that kind of life that alienates them from friends and family because they don't have the time to spend with them. Right. That's, that's Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, what's our, is it, uh, okay. So I got our next one here and we'll, we'll come back to Rob. I think uh, we don't want to read them all in a row. I don't think. Sure. No, whichever one you want to hit next. Okay. Rob Van Steenhoven says, dear Stephen John, congratulations on making 250 episodes of the cinephiles. I absolutely love this podcast podcast. It has taught me so much about film. Please keep this podcast going forever. Well, we will try. <laughs> <laughs> English isn't my first language, so I hope I'm phrasing this question correctly. My question is about or connected to something you sometimes refer to as, quote, the cheap seats. In my opinion, many reviews, articles, essays, discussions, etc. about film have become increasingly heated, angry, aggressive, and the points made therein are often supported by bad and invalid arguments and lacking in nuance. The cinephile is excluded, of course. You guys are amazing. Uh, this is done both by people who know what they are talking about and those who don't. Quote, for example, this film is genius slash crap, or people who don't agree with me are wrong and dumb and co-F themselves. Un end quote. In your opinion, who gets to say what about film in what way? When does critique become hateful vitriol? And when does passionate become unacceptable behavior? Where do you draw the line? Kind regards, Rob Van Steenhoven in the Netherlands. Steve. Uh it's it's a great question, Rob. Um, I mean, my general default is everybody is allowed to have their opinion and express mm. their opinion. Yeah. But I agree. I what what really bugs me is a when it's hurtful. Yeah. You know when you're when you're telling somebody like that their opinion is wrong that they right. don't get to like what they like or dislike what they dislike. There's a there's a so so first of all I would separate out being critical of a film and being and attacking people who like that film. Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. don't like that film so I, I i don't like that at all mm -hmm. um i also it, it's there's so much of where it's the filmmaker didn't give me what i wanted mm. and i don't think that's and i think you can say that but i don't think that's a reason to attack the film 
the film was trying to be what the t film was trying to be. They weren't trying yeah. to, you know, fulfill your dreams of what the film should be, you know? Right. So like, to, and, and, and because I'm a technical person and I'd like the craft of filmmaking, that's what I would like to talk about. Yeah. Did they achieve what they were trying to achieve? Did they have good technique? You know um, there's, and, and you know, I hate the internet and the anger and nastiness <laughs> and vitriol as, as Rob. So, uh, by the way, your English was beautiful. I think you yes. said all that really, really well. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I, I hate all that. How about you? Yeah, I mean, you know, Steve, having been in this sphere and come in contact with uh, reviewers, critics, pundits who have that point of view sometimes that film isn't subjective, that they get to be upset about a film and think that you're crazy for liking a film. Uh, I always found that to be one of the most uh, um, off-putting things. I get it when you're young because you're still establishing yourself in your own mind about what your opinion is on things, and that's your passion. And you, you're saying, no, you're stupid for liking that movie. I don't want to be around you. Or, I get that. That's, that's a thing that you're developing because it's attached to who you are as a human being and your development as a human being. But as you get older, if you're still having vitriolic arguments about fake characters and fake stories in a, on a, uh, um, in a fake world, um, then that's something that I think you have to examine. I think healthy debate, healthy, healthy discussion is great. I mean, we do it on the Geek Buddies and we do it on this show all the time. I love it. But when you start to use that discussion to be a reason to vilify someone or to denigrate them or to undercut them, uh, then that's where the problem lies. You know, someone misunderstood me the other day when I was talking about Venom films versus transformers films and i was saying how this is great now because the people who were used to bash me for liking the transformers films i've seen a lot of them come out in support of the venom films i get to now say to them what they said to me yeah but you like the venom films, so how can i trust your opinion right those are the things that i used to get all the time and now i can turn that around a little bit because those venom films are terrible but that's my opinion if you love them i'm gonna let you love them like i wanted you to let me love the transformers films but that's the game. And so I always think it's great to just let people like what they like. And if you get this passion, you get this, I think passion is not a bad thing. Using passion to destroy someone because they have a different opinion of a film than you do, I think is something absolutely insane and not conducive to a great exchange of ideas where if you heard the other point, sometimes people uh, confuse listening and understanding to another's point, a person's point of view is not accepting or agreeing to another person's right. point of view. That's the key here. People need to understand. Understanding someone is not uh, thinking the same way that they do or accepting their opinion as truth. It's just you understanding them. You still don't have to agree with them. Yeah. I, I think there's a, like some distinctions that people have a hard time making, mm. which is I, I, my guess is I haven't asked you this question before, mm. but when my guess is when you say you like the Transformers films, you're not saying that in the same way that you're saying you like Citizen Kane or on no, the waterfront or something. Not at all. No, you know, and this is the thing is like, is that, yeah. you know what? Every once in a while, a Big Mac is delicious. Yes. Like it tastes great. Yeah. Like, do I feel ill about 35 minutes after eating a Big Mac? Yeah, I do. But I'm not saying that a Big Mac is like, you know, a three Michelin star dining experience. These right. are different things. You get to, and so, and what's so weird to me is that the films that people are passionately arguing about yeah. are, I won't say they're not important. That's not what I mean at all. Right. But they are not, the issues aren't important. You know what I mean? Like they're not right. passionately arguing about the grapes of wrath, you know, right. which, you know, they're not passionately arguing about, you know, 12 years a slave and movies that are about really important 
complicated, difficult topics. Right. They're arguing about whether or not the latest Star Wars movie was, you know, like the, the casting in the latest Star Wars movie. It's like, well, that's yeah. not actually that important. It's yeah. not that the, you know, like it's a movie. It's, it's, it's a fantasy. Enjoy it. Don't mm -hmm. enjoy it. Don't yell at each other about it. You yeah. know, don't use it as a reason to divide your divide. To, you know, yeah. it's, it should be a reason to uh, unite, to have a conversation about it. And, you know, I've never, I've never seen anything that couldn't be discussed and I've yeah. never seen anything that couldn't have multiple opinions. And I've never seen a conversation with multiple opinions, not lead to someone uh, having a new perspective on something. So I think it's really important to do that um, as well. Uh, Steve, let's hit some Streamlabs Super Chats before we move on to some yeah. more of these questions. We've gotten them fast and furious now. Sterling Jones says, congrats on your 250th episode. Thank you, Sterling. With your success with the Cinephiles, what is the one area that both of you think the show can do better on? Wow, a little self-analysis. Diversity. This, yeah. You know, we get, we just got a list of three female directors, you know, that, that we've not done well enough. There are so, it's, that's the biggest one. And, and what's sad is as we do fewer films a year because the deep dives get longer yeah that that makes it even harder to to put a diverse slate of films that's that's my opinion how about you yeah i think diversity absolutely um i also think maybe adding a you know adding the cinephiles live i think has been a, has been helpful for us because it's a place we can come and just talk about a film and yeah. have fun with a film or explore a film like we did with stand and deliver or like we <clears throat> we did before with the assistance uh, a couple of over a month ago like we, that's fun stuff that that lets us let off some steam because we get so serious about our analysis totally. of films it's nice to have a place we can go and talk about fucking armageddon or police story or whatever it's a great place to go and let off some steam and have fun, some fun so that i think us exploring more of the like major league type films is good for us to kind of break the monotony of doing the serious stuff all the time so i think more of that as we go forward i think will be positive and we do try to do it i just think we should we i think we both want to do it more for sure i i, I mean john knows because i've thanked him privately and karen knows because i say it all the time i can't begin to tell you how grateful i am that john said we should do a set of files live once a month because it has saved my life <laughs> you know it's just having that week where it's like i'm not editing yeah. is just and it's, it's as you say it's fun yes. and, and in a lot of ways this is it's different from the conversations we started when we started the cinephiles yeah but it definitely is more that hey i get to talk to my friend john about movies and that's great rather than right. we have to do this really serious important thing <laughs> that i feel a lot of pressure on and we get to connect with our fans and hear their points yeah, of views in real time which is great absolutely uh nick hopper says have you guys ever considered doing any of terry gilliam's work outside of monty python yes yeah multiple <laughs> yeah, times <laughs> yeah um i mean i think the ones that have come up the most are fisher king and brazil yes um are there other ones that would have come up for you uh 12 monkeys oh, 12, 12 monkeys, 12 monkeys sure. is certainly one that we in fact i would love to do 12 monkeys that's a film that i haven't revisited in a while it would be fun to explore that now totally. in retrospect the way they looked at the future for sure oh well and you know what it just occurred to me is that's yeah. a movie about a pandemic yeah yeah. So, uh oh, we might be adjusting the schedule again. No, I'm joking. Damn. I'm joking. No. I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me, here's a stream live from Cam Chapman. It says, Thank you for 250 great episodes. You make me rediscover movies every time I listen. Uh, my question covering Lord, I'm sorry, guys, covering Lord of the Rings would be a huge task given the whole saga is so long. What if you covered it as a trilogy episode, one episode to rule them all? Steve, what have we discussed about Lord of the Rings? 
this has come up so many times <laughs> and we discussed it in so many different ways. Like yeah. at one point, one of the things we said, well, we could do it as the beginning of the year, like epic exploration. And then I think yeah. I finally put the kibosh on that because you don't love the movies. And I think spending two months in movies that you don't love doesn't seem like a great thing. I'm mm. so torn because my feeling about them there, yeah. I don't think they're the greatest films ever made, mm -hmm. but I think, having listened to the commentary because i worked on those did you work on those dvds too? yes yes yeah with meta was, and all that yeah yeah i was uh, i was two months under an nda where i had to go to an, an undisclosed location to work on those dvds yep but i think the story the filmmaking story of those films is so instructive in terms yeah. of and i think the in there there's some of the most impressive movies ever made so like there's part of me that goes like i want to go deep into them and really do it the whole thing mm -hmm. but that means months you know yeah so i keep i keep going back and forth on how to approach them yeah i wonder if that's a possibility for us and i look i as much as i may not like the movies overall there are great stuff there are great things in oh, the yeah. movies each one of them so i i have i have no problem i guess now thinking about it going into the world of films my concern is that's three months that's not yeah. a couple of months that is three because every movie is almost three hours and you know we're going to get into the minutia of the characters and the land and what was going on. And as Steve said, all the film story behind it, how they made these films, how this all came about. It's exhaustive research that we're going to have to do. So I think we may have to maybe even consider, and this is coming to me on the fly now in my mind, maybe consider doing a Kickstarter fundraiser for those episodes wow. so that both of us uh, understand that we're working to earn a certain amount of money and that is a benefit for the people who want to get in fact those people will get the episodes first before we drop them out for anybody else so that would be a incentive to tackle those films at the level that people want us to tackle those films because there is a lot to explore in just one lord of the rings movie let alone three and if we do the extended editions there's even more to explore there that would take so much of our time so something to consider as a possible approach is to launch a kickstarter to fund it and then the people who gave money to it will be the people who get it weeks ahead of time or a couple of weeks ahead of time or maybe a month ahead of time from the re the general cinephiles audience so i don't know that's something to consider that is an interesting idea. Uh, someone has posted, like, uh, you know, maybe do one of them a year, which maybe is a way to approach it. Yeah. Um, and, oh, and, yeah. and what I, you know, what I should say, I mean, the, it is so incredible that we have things like Patreon and we have some advertisement that helps to mm -hmm. support the show. But the, I would say, I'm trying to think of the, the right way to say it. Mm -hmm. The amount of money comes in that comes in compared to what the product that we put out is, you know, we, uh, we put out a really great product. I think mm -hmm. yeah. it takes a tremendous amount of work. Yep. It's not the same as there are a lot of great podcasts out there that don't require the level of work that the cinephiles do, yeah. you know? Um, uh, yeah. I, I, I think, well, it's funny. We have a plan about how to approach the Marvel movies, which we talked about, which I think we're going to start up in 2022 and maybe the Lord of R the Rings. We're going to also have to come up with a plan and maybe it's something like a Kickstarter. Maybe it's some, you know, that, but, but I think it, I do agree that it's worth doing at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Um, one more. Uh, let's see. Let me do uh, a couple more here from social 1999 says love from Wales gents. Thank you. Sasha. Uh, the podcast is gift to my question, John, which other Arnold Schwarzenegger movie would you choose for the podcast? Steve, which other Bruce Lee movie would you choose for the po podcast? 
discuss Danka Gigi Dioch. Um, okay. I, I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce that, but I hope I pronounced it correctly. Steve, what Bruce Lee movie would you want to do besides the I mean, one we did? We there is uh the big boss and there's Fist of Fury. Oh yeah. I, I would think you know what is maybe we do the big boss and Fist of Fury for a live show. You know, oh that's I, fun. Yeah. yeah, I mean because the thing is is I, we've been talking about this a little bit off the mic, is that there's yeah. some things that the the really in-depth in terms of the editing, there's yeah. some things that uh, really don't lend themselves that well to editing the show the way I edit the show. Yeah, and a, a you know an early '70s kung fu movie maybe isn't the best one to talk about in that manner because like if I if I we talk about like some great performance or a great piece of music, I yeah. can play a line from the great performance or play a great piece of music. Right. Listening to audio of a fantastic fight scene is sort of like dumb you know yeah, yeah like what's the point that's my feeling how about what's what arnold movie do you want to do what, what have we done you know i lose track sometimes have we done conan the barbarian yes have we done terminator 2 yes okay so now that we've knocked those two big ones i wouldn't i i wouldn't i would be hesitant to dive into um true lies because some of the racist aspects now looking back mm-hmm. on it uh so that would keep me from plus the jamie lee curtis scene which is really misogynist uh, in, in retrospect now um, but I think the two that I would look at are kindergarten copper twins. And I That's think because, I, right. So yeah. go ahead. Steve. Yeah. No, I was, I was twins is what I would have said too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, both of those, because they're fun. Um, and what we just talked about, the idea of doing a fun film, but they're also comedies that really changed the perception of Arnold Schwarzenegger in a lot of people's eyes yeah. that he could do more than just be the big burly villain or the big burly guy in a film. And so twins, I think, is probably the one we should do, especially since the twins three sequels been announced. It could or twins sequels been announced. We could have fun doing that for sure uh, and exploring that film with a young Kelly Preston, a young Chloe Webb. And a young Tandy DeVito and Schwarzenegger, and it's—I think it's Ivan Reitman too. So that it's could be Ivan a lot Reitman, of fun. Yeah, yeah. Tw- sure. Twins, by the way, is a movie that I saw in the theater twice in the same day. Wow, really? Because I saw a matinee yeah. in Marin County, and then I was going to meet uh, uh, my friends Jeff Johnson and Steve Jones, hmm. and uh, in the afternoon, and I went. Let's, and they said, "Hey, we hear that, that Twins is good." I'm like, "It is good. Let's go see it." So I went and saw it twice in a row. <laughs> <laughs> perfect all right one last stream lab then we'll get back to our questions here we've got some so keep sending them in we're definitely going to get to them adam jimenez says hello and congrats on 250 episodes halloween is around the corner and the annual horror movie episode is getting near any chance that you would consider doing night of the hunter it's one of my favorites and i think one of the greatest movies ever made well steve we've already made a decision about the hollywood halloween movie haven't we 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 have made a decision um, so th- that movie will not happen this year. I've also no. never seen Night of the Hunter. Ooh, great yeah. Criterion collection that just came out a few months ago. So, mm. Yeah, um, we did make a decision. It will not be Night of the Hunter. Maybe we tackle Night of the Hunter next year. It's just a regular movie for us to tackle. Uh, it covers the black and white aspect for sure. Sure. And an older film. But uh, should we announce it or should we wait? Are we going to wait on the announcement of what film we're tackling for I, I, Halloween? I, I'm fine either way. What do you think? Hmm. Well, we should give them a gift for 250 That's, episodes. All right, there you go. You please, go ahead, Steve. No, 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 please. The, well, go ahead, go ahead. The movie for <laughs> this year's Cinephiles Halloween special is Scream. Scream. That's right. We are going to dive into Scream, a film I'm not a hundred percent in love with, but I think this is going to be fun. And for the fans who love Scream, this is going to be an awesome exploration. 
Uh, and I, I haven't seen the film in forever. Steve, Me too. So it'll be uh, fun to dive into that one and break it down. But uh, well, I think what's going to be really fun is yeah. that Scream is a movie about movies. You know, yes. Good so point. so that will I, I think that element is going to make it a perfect cinephiles movie to discuss for sure. Um, and but strangely enough, I'm going to have to do a fair amount of research because I'm I'm not the horror movie expert, so I'm going to have to kind of try to learn <laughs> what all the references are because I know it is chock full. Yeah. Of references. For sure. Uh, all right. Let's get back to our questions, Steve, here. I think you got, got the next I, one here. I got a bunch of questions that came in through Twitter. Some of them are maybe a little bit okay. shorter. Sure. So I'll hit you with, with uh, a couple of them. How about let's do it. will you guys do a streetcar named Desire? Yes. Yes. That's my vote. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, like there's so there's there are very few movies. I'm sure at some point someone will suggest one where you and I will go, no way, never, <laughs> not gonna happen. Right. But that is not one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, here is an interesting one. Um that I thought oh well, actually, here's another quick one. Have you ever walked out of a film? Yes. Um, Turner and Hooch, Batman and Robin, uh Bulletproof with Adam Sandler. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if there's any other. Oh, and I wanted to walk out of Happy Time Murders. Uh, if I wasn't doing a review for it at Collider, I would have walked out of the and the snowman, the fucking uh, Michael Fassbender one. That was mm. horrific. Um, so, uh, Steve, have you ever walked out of a movie? Um, I'm such a completionist. It's very difficult for me to not get to the end of a thing. Mm. The, the one that I remember walking out of is <laughs> the classic film starring Chris Rock and Anthony Hopkins, Bad Company. <laughs> Bad Company, yeah. I remember being in that movie just going, what the fuck is this? <laughs> it's just, nope, nope, not for yeah. me. <laughs> Walking out, that's the one I remember. <laughs> no great actor, that's Steve. Oh, and Judge, oh no, and, and Judge Dredd. My the dad Steve. made us walk out of that one. Uh, he had come to see every Stallone movie with me since mm. I was a teenager, Steve. And that was the film. We walked out maybe an hour and 15 minutes into it because my dad goes, I can't stay here. Uh, you can stay in the theater. I will go get food or something, but I cannot stay here. And I said, no, dad, I'll walk out with you. And he said, Johnny, I love you. I've seen these movies with you for how many years now? But I will never see a Sylvester Sloan movie with you in the theater again because wow. these are getting worse. And so he never, we never did go you know, see another Stallone film together. Yeah, he 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 was right. Yeah, he was <laughs> they right. Were, they were getting worse. Yeah. Uh, here's right. another one that I thought was interesting. This is from Jacob Guild. He says, uh, "A question for both of you: What would be your dream setting for Tarantino's last movie? Which I don't think it's going to be his last movie. Right. Uh, mine would be a gangster epic spanning from the '60s to the start of the '90s." Ooh. I'd like a movie where he doesn't get to default to use the N-word or commit violence towards women. So if I want to challenge this motherfucker who claims to be such a great movie guy, I want him to do a British period piece. Show me what you got. Paul mm. Thomas Anderson got shit for not being able to do a romantic comedy or normal film, and he did A Punch Drunk Love. So he was pushed... And in a moment of re revolution or revolt to people's criticisms of him, he directed one of the most amazing films I've ever seen. So I want to push Tarantino to direct a film just like Scorsese did with Age of Innocence, where he doesn't have to default to his normal tactics and do something incredible here. Uh, and that would be what I would do to challenge him in that way. A period piece set in the 1800s about something British. And he cannot use cuss words or commit violence towards women. Can you do it? 
I, I would take I love I love the idea. I would take it a step further and just mm. say no violence. Period. Moving to no violence. Yeah. 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 Um here the, the setting that I, that occurred to me that I think would be interesting is uh near future science fiction, like Blade Runner. Like mm. like put oh, him yeah. I think that would be like a very, very cool place oh, to use his talents. Yeah, you're right, Steve. That would be a great place for sure. Um, okay, what else have we got on the Twitter ones? Uh let's see if I have another one. Hmm. What big five-star type movies? This is from J- Jamie Lee Curtis Holmes is their Twitter handle. <laughs> uh, what big five-star type movies do you think are extremely overrated? The the number one one I know that both you and I agree on. Yes, Gone, gone with, with the Wind. wind. Yeah, yeah, Gone with the Wind. Ugh. I, I want to look at these because I want to look at the. What, what do you go to the AFI Top 100? Is that where we go? Sure, for sure. five-star That's movies that are one. overrated. Uh, I would say um, Easy Rider is overrated now. When I hundred percent, way right? overrated. Yeah, it is not as effective as people think it is, or as, as moving as people. Think well, it is. that movie to me falls into the category of important, but not actually good. Yeah, that's my opinion. Okay. Um, um, what else have you got? What about? I don't know. Side? Now I'm looking at this list. <laughs> um, it's so funny. There are movies on here that I like. Like okay. American Graffiti, I like. I don't right. think it's one of the hundred greatest films made in the U.S. at all. Yeah, um, I I know people might get mad at me, but I'd have to throw E.T. in there. I don't think E.T. is a five star movie in my opinion. I think it's a little bit overrated. It's kind of a simple story, and you can poke holes in that story left and right. So, but I know there's so much nostalgia attached to it for so many people. So I can't take that away from people. But for me. It's not a film that moves me or puts me in the, you know, kind of makes me think, oh, wow, what an incredible film I've just seen. You know, I, I think it is absolutely beautifully crafted. Mm-hmm. I think every single shot is picked for a reason. It's to me like it's not a movie that I love the way I yeah. love other Spielberg films, yeah. but it is a movie that I would teach in film school. You know, Fair to just to like look at exact the storytelling is crystal clear. Every shot, the camera is in the right place, every piece yeah. of music. Like, it's just really, really well done for me. Spielberg in his prime, dude. So it's yeah. totally... Uh, uh, another one I throw in is Lord... I know we just talked about Lord of the Rings. I, I don't see them as five-star movies. And I know everyone falls all over themselves to slurp on those movies. But I, I can take sections of those movies and just... So to me, I don't have the reverence for those that other people seem to have. So, um, Should we go back to some of the, yes. the email questions? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think you left off last time. So do you want to... Jump on the Philip one or the next Rob Van one? Uh, let's see. Um, I think we're going to might. I, yeah, I don't have a good answer to that one, so I don't, okay. I'm not going to read it. Um, okay. Let's see. Uh, how about uh, this one from Joe Farrelly? Okay, we'll jump up to he there. Says, okay, sounds good. Yeah, I mean, well, if you and if you want to grab one of the other ones, I'm just looking at ones that kind of sounded totally interesting. Um, oh, wait. Oh, sorry. This was he has multiple questions. Uh, We'll do maybe one or two of them. Okay. Uh, He says, uh, your podcast has really been a joy to listen to. I still have a few of them to catch up on, but that's only because I want to see the movies before I listen. Well, Mm -hmm. you need to get on it, Joe. I think you've got (laughs) a lot of work to do. Yeah, Joe. Uh, uh, He says, we have already had a Casino Royale episode, but what other Bond movies would you consider great that could potentially uh, have their own episode? Skyfall. Skyfall. Casino Royale. uh, We did Casino Royale. Oh, yeah, sorry. We did uh, Goldfinger. Yeah. I, I I think Goldfinger's great. I would say uh, From Russia with Love is great. Oh yeah, with Robert um, Shaw. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. I will say it. I know I've said it before. I think largely the all the James Bond movies are bad. Yeah, 
sorry yeah. like i know you know like you everyone has might have love for certain ones i really have the theory that wherever you first encountered james bond you will probably have love for that movie even if it's not good but the more that i look at them the more i'm like it is the same movie over and over and over again yeah with and they're all and most of them are not actually particularly good right right good point um all right thank you joe Farrelly, for that one uh cameron clark says hello guys i started listening to your podcast this fall here are some questions. Let's. Do, how about this? Uh, uh, okay, who's great at getting great performances out of actors? Paul Thomas Anderson or Tarantino? Hmm. I think what Tarantino is really good at mm-hmm. is seeing something in an actor that other people did not see, mm. and giving them something. You know, John Travolta being an example. Samuel Jackson, obviously, yeah. that he here's this guy who had been working and working and working. And Tarantino went, no, no, I know how to use this person. Right. Um, but I don't think the power of what Paul Thomas Anderson does with actors. I mean, his movies, Paul Thomas Anderson's movies are more powerful to me mm-hmm. than a mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino movie. And so seeing what he gets out of Adam Sandler, you know, right. I, I mean, that's astounding. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think I would 100% agree. I think it's Paul Thomas Anderson. I would think what Tarantino does is cast correctly and let yeah. the actor do their thing and 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 create space for the actor to enjoy being reborn or having confidence instilled back in them that there's a new generation of people who respect and appreciate why this person was such a uh, uh, um, beloved actor back in their heyday, like Travolta, like Robert Forster, like Jackie Brown, or sorry, like um, uh, Pam Greer and Jackie Brown. Like those, those they were like revered. And so they kind of fell away as things happen. So to bring them back, he gives them space to create something fun. Paul Thomas Anderson discovers people like Philip Seymour Hoffman. He discovers these actors, gives them smaller parts. to Even Don Cheadle. People don't remember Don Cheadle. That's a small part in Boogie Nights. Yeah. But he's able to shine. Melora, uh, Melora Walters in in Magnolia is heartbreaking uh, right. as the John C. Riley, you know, the counter to John C. Riley. Their their romance, it is heartbreaking. Even John C. Riley at the time wasn't John C. Riley, and so um, right. and then Tom Cruise getting that performance out of Tom Cruise in Magnolia, yep. holy shit! And so to me, it is Paul. To me, the two are Paul Thomas Anderson and Steven Soderbergh. Steven Soderbergh got two. Uh, got an Oscar-winning performance from Julia Roberts that nobody else had ever done, and uh, Jennifer Lopez, arguably her greatest, most relaxed yeah. performance ever, is in Out of Sight. Uh, and so, to me, th- those are the two that I consider to be two of the greatest to bring uh, performances out of actors that you wouldn't normally uh, think could be there, like you said with Adam Sandler and Paul Tim Thomas Anderson. Yeah. I, I think too. One of the things about Tarantino, his dialogue yeah. is so great. Yes. Um, in a way that I wouldn't say it's not, I think Paul Thomas Anderson is an amazing writer, Yes, but he's, he doesn't write like if all you have to do to, with Tarantino is you just have to say the words, right. Yeah. You know, yeah. whereas with Paul Thomas Anderson, his performances, I don't understand what's going on. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I don't understand. There's so much tension and complexity and yeah. layers. Whereas yeah. a Quentin Tarantino character, it's like, well, you know, the bride is after revenge. Like we understand <laughs> the basics of what's going on in the yeah, story. That's true. You know, very true. Um, All right. Uh, uh, our next one mm-hmm. comes from. Oh no, I did. Did I read that one or did you? Are Which you, one? Uh, no, no. Yeah, okay. you, you you read the next one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is from Jesse Argueta. Okay. And they say uh, uh, the sub the subject of this is his film subjective. Uh, 
he says, hi, Stephen John, longtime listener, first time writer, writer inner. Um, <laughs> and he writes, is all film is subjective. It's a mantra of film critics and teachers everywhere. And quite possibly John Campea's favorite sentence. I understand yeah. that everyone has their own opinions and different aspects of different stories that affect different people differently. I get that. But isn't there a difference between I like, don't like that, and that is objectively well or poorly made? Is there no objective way to make a good film? And then if there is no objective way to make a good film, then what is the point of film schools? If there are no objectively good or bad films, does that mean there are no objectively good or bad filmmakers? And that Orson Welles, Steven Spielberg, and Christopher Nolan are no more or less talented than you or I. Mm. Thank you. Uh, so much taking my question. Look forward to the inevitable The Room episode with special guest. <laughs> keep up the great work. <laughs> well, you keep waiting for that The Room episode. Yeah, you keep waiting. Mike Ross would be so happy. Oh, my God. I'd have to be high for that one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you want to go ahead, Steve? Do you want to answer that one first? Uh, I think this is a great question. And yeah. I think that film is not just subjective. Whether you like something is subjective. Mm -hmm. What you got out of the film can be subjective. But there is, I, I hate this idea that everything is subjective. Mm -hmm. It just throws like, no, there are things that are real. You know, there, are, there, there is a certain kind of craftsmanship. You know, mm -hmm. and it's funny, Easy Rider is an example. Yeah. It is a perfect example of this. It's subjectively, it's a, a lot of people can love that movie. Yeah, but objectively, in terms of the craftsmanship of filmmaking, it's not that good. You yeah. know, yeah. like I think there are things that we can say, and, and it gets it, it's funny in in just yeah, you know, and we can contrast that with ET, which I would say objectively is super well crafted, but you might not like it that much. That's mm -hmm. the subjective aspect. That's what I would say. Yeah, I, you know, the thing is, all film is objective in terms of like you as a person watching a film you as steve said you can take away whatever you want from it that's your journey because you're bringing your experience to those films but these people who have studied trained learned analyzed written under deadlines you know come up with incredible language to describe films the ones that teach you how to watch films they're the guidelines for you to follow they're the blueprints for you to follow to understand how to love a film they're the ones who get to determine what is a great film, what isn't, because they understand the medium at a bone deep level. And you organically, as a lover of film, understand that they love the or that they are able to dissect the film in such an intelligent, articulate, and deep way. So therefore, they do get to determine what are the greatest films and what aren't the greatest films. That's how it works. No. Christopher Nolan is not is is not the same level of talented as as you or I, a person who sent in the thing. No, because he spent time creating films, making films, developing, films, writing these things, and going into the wars with them. And then the people who watch them, who are learned critics and are and have all this pedigree behind them, they're the ones who get to determine whether it's good or not. Now, can you have an issue with that? Of course you can. You don't have to listen to any critics, for God's sakes. Right. That's your decision to listen to them or not to listen to them and for you to care where a film you love ranks that's you giving power to that ranking and you don't have to do that people sometimes forget how much more power they actually have over what they can can't get upset about and certainly i've been guilty of that in my life still uh and those are the things that you look at and go well i don't have to agree with this person i don't have to agree with this ranking and it's okay you know and i think that's where you break them. But if you want to discover film, understand film, learn about film, then go and seek out those critics that have an incredible amount of uh, uh, training in how to analyze a movie. 
Well, and and I'll speak to this as a as a film teacher too. Yeah. Is that there? You know, most of the films that my students would make aren't terribly good, and frequently in the post production process, yeah, you, we make cuts and say, okay, this cut didn't work. I, yeah. Nobody understood what your character was doing, and then yeah. we do the next cut, and now people do understand what the character was doing. Yeah, that is objectively better. Like there, there, are, and and if you look at a scene, like you think of the breakfast scene in Citizen Kane. And you don't have to like Citizen Kane, yeah. but objectively, you look at that scene and you see there are choices being made. There's costume choices. There's mm-hmm. performance choices. There's writing choices. It has something very specific to say. Yeah. It has. It wants you to feel certain things, you know. And that if you compare that to an episode of Three's Company, and it's like you might totally like <laughs> Three's Company, but they're not the same thing. Objectively, they are not the same thing. You might rather watch Three's Company. That's totally fine. But they're not the same thing. And, now and I, I wish. Think, yep. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, and I think too, like the other thing is, how well does the filmmaker accomplish their goal? Right. Like, if you don't understand what my movie is about, and that's the basic thing in film school that that is really hard, just yeah. getting the story. Well, then objectively, you didn't do that well. Yeah. If the filmmaker wanted you to cry at this moment or laugh, if if you didn't laugh at the joke, objectively, that joke didn't fly. Right. That's it. You know. Right good point it's a good point i was gonna say now i, I feel like i need orson welles if he was still alive to narrate the uh, lyrics for uh three's company theme song now come and knock it. on our door <laughs> no, i did more john houston that was more john houston won't you knock on our door um <laughs> all right so let's move on to henrik winterland here and uh, we'll swing back to the stream labs we've got a few others that have come in so we'll read those as well in just a second here uh henrik winterland says hi there steve and john my question for the two of you is a simple one what are some examples of films that the two of you fundamentally disagree about that you haven't already given the cinephiles treatment and why looking forward to a spirited discussion, best wishes from Sweden, Henrik. Well, Henrik, clearly you, 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 you Nordic people love stirring up <laughs> shit. You know, you, you, act, you act like you're nice, but you love st- stirring up shit like Jan Moss on Ted Lasso. They love to stir up shit. Um, Steve, are there any films that we objectively disagree on? That we've had I mean, I know about? some of the ones that we didn't quite agree on in that we've done. Yes, you know? right. Uh, yes. But I don't know if I know ones that we haven't done. Like, like uh, yeah. we, I don't agree with you on Top Gun. In fact, yes. in fact, yeah. I like it. I, I, it was funny. I re-listened to the Top Gun episode, oh. and I suddenly went. I should have been harsher, <laughs> but you love it. You know, I know uh, uh, we didn't agree on lost in America. That is a movie. Yes. That did not work for oh, you at all. God. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, but I, I'm trying to think I can't, I don't know enough to know what movies you love that we haven't talked about. Yeah. I, I think there are, there there's, and I'm, I hope I say this correctly and I don't want to say this in a racist way, but I think there are some waspy films that just do not fucking work for me. <laughs> Lost in America is one of those. Clue is another one of those. They just, they're so waspy. I just huh. don't. Lost get. in America is extremely Jewish. Uh, if you say so, it, it radiates waspy to me when I watch it. So, I, and I, you know, that's just my opinion on it when I look at it. it just, sure. it radiates something that just, I, it's not a life that I understand or know or can connect to. So it doesn't affect me, right? So there are just certain films that are just that way that just don't, like Magnificent Ambersons. I love Wells to Pieces. I am bored by Magnificent Ambersons. Every time I try to make myself appreciate that film, I can't. It's not something I connect to. But out of nowhere, I can connect to an 1800s white, only white person period piece 
for whatever reason, but there's just something about certain films that just don't work for me. And a, a lot of them are waspy films. I just don't get what people's connection to them are, but then I'll turn around and love defending your life. So I, I can't figure it out. I right. really can't uh, figure it out. It's just my own personal taste. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it'll be, I'm sure there are a whole bunch of movies you and I disagree on. Oh yeah. I can't think of what they are. Um, <laughs> JMB is proposing a new show, Steve. How about that? Roka versus Steve on film. There you go. A battle, a battle royale uh, every month. Yeah. JMB, you raise the funds and we'll do the show. That's easy. <laughs> exactly, JMB. Um, all right. Uh, should we string back to some Streamlabs or do you want to uh, do another email, brother? No, go for it. Okay. All right. Let's see. Wow. We got a few of these that have rolled through. All right. Uh, Ryan H says, hi, uh, hi, Cinefiles. Been listening since 2017. Have you thought of doing a multi-part episode where you analyze and film and then it's remake? Uh, it'd be so hmm. interesting to directly compare the two. Which would you choose? I'd pick Infernal Affairs and The Departed. Ooh, that's an interesting proposal. Hmm. I like that proposal, actually. What do you think, Steve? Uh, um, well, I'll tell you. If we do do 12 Monkeys, hmm. we should talk about La Jetée, which is the French New Wave short film that is 12 monkeys is loosely based on oh um that could uh, be fun which is a really interesting film um and it's a short yeah. i'm trying to think of what are to, uh, a remake where i dig them both enough that i'd want to do it huh um okay let me see let's take a look best film remakes that are listed here um scarface we could do the original and the pacino sure. one maybe oceans 11 although oceans 11 is not the original is not, not that movie. good. Uh, oh, well, we've done Magnificent Seven and we've done yeah. Seven Samurai. So we've already done that. What is is Heat? It's based on a... Oh, the, the Michael Mann TV film. Oh, Insomnia. That could be very interesting because mm. it's based on that uh, the foreign film, the Norwegian Insomnia film that starred Stellan Skarsgård. So, Which I've never seen. I've never seen that one. Really? So, oh, shit. Yeah. I would, uh, that's a great one. I have it on Criterion. I... I, I think that would be fun to explore both of those back to pack with departed infernal affairs is three movies. Like there's three different movies. Yeah. Right. So I don't know if that would necessarily necessarily qualify, but I like the idea. It's an interesting song. idea. I think that yeah. sounds like a fun idea. Yeah. Yeah. Could be something to explore down the road. Um, uh, and uh, Nick Hopper. I already said that uh, Assad says, hi guys, big fan of your podcast. Your show on wrath of the con enticed me to watch star Trek, the original series for the first time. And now I'm hooked on Enterprise Incidents. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, thank you. That's awesome. What do you think of Australian cinema? And would you consider doing another Aussie movie like The Castle? Have we done an Australian film? We have not done. I mean, we did uh, Master and Commander, which is Peter oh, Weir, yes. but it's not really an Australian film. I, I don't think we've done an Australian film. Okay. I haven't seen The Castle. I, yeah. And this is where I go. I, I, I like some of the Australian filmmakers. I don't know that I could could make a statement on australian film yeah but um i mean yeah. uh, you know peter weir there's a bunch of movies that i love right um uh i don't know what what do you think yeah i mean mad max is uh, an australian i've never seen the castle either that's from uh, 1997 um let's see here romper stomper could be fun babe is considered an australian film Babe's i mean really babe is really good <laughs> it is good right if me and Steve wanted to have some fun with a Cinephiles Live, we could do Crocodile Dundee one month, which would be a lot of fun for sure. What what, what would that be like to revisit? <laughs> uh, well, I watched 30 Minutes the other night. It was on one of the HBO channels. And I was like, is this still 
like, yeah, it's still kind of interesting. But I also think Strictly Ballroom would be fun because oh, that's, that's a really good movie. Yeah. Right? That's a good Boz Lerman one that we could actually uh, open the door to and have some fun with for sure. So, yeah. Did I you think... mention, did you say Moulin Rouge? I, I No, I did not. I, I'm not a yeah. fan of Moulin Rouge, but oh, yeah. if, if you wanted to do it, we could do it for sure. I'm not enough of a fan to make you do it. <laughs> if you're not, I mean, I like it, but no, I. I I think Shine would be a good one, dude. I remember oh, Shine's good, yeah. Movie, right? Uh, yeah. Jeffrey Rush film, so certainly. Um, all right, so we'll put it in the... Aside, we'll put it in the a consideration pile for sure. See, uh, then, again, I'm going to just point out the problem that we always <laughs> say, here we are, how many movies have we now yeah, said, oh, that's a good idea. Oh, true. I'd like to do that. It's true. <laughs> uh, Sean Hagen says, hey, guys, love the show. I do have a suggestion, though. With Halloween coming up and your one horror movie a year, please do more. Would it be possible to get a guest who is a fan of the genre to balance out the critique and bring that point of view? Um, I, 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 sure. Yeah, sure. And we're always up for guests. It's a matter of their time commitment and you know how we deep dive into movies adding another person adds time for sure yeah. to the to the editing process for steve but also to the recording process for all three of us so it's certainly something to consider i saw people point out maybe asking perry to come back to do scream that's one of her favorite movies maybe i, I you know for us i i hesitate on guests lately because we've become so uh, so deep in these films that even a half hour or sorry a 90 minute film will take us two episodes sometimes so yeah yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm all for guests. We've had so many fantastic guests. Yeah. I don't. I, they've all added great things uh, to our recordings. In fact, the the movie that's coming out next week, we right. have a new guest who I think was um, amazing. Yes. Um. And so, sure. Uh, yeah. I, in theory, absolutely. <laughs> um. Yeah. yeah. Do you have more streamlabs or should yeah, I we do have another? We have three. We have four more. Let me get okay. through one more and then we'll swing back to them. Uh, Justin Toner says, hi, John and Steve. First, congrats on 250 episodes. Thank you, Justin. Thank you. Uh, I just got home from seeing No Time to Die, and I have a lot of emotions about the film, but right now, I think I really liked it. Are you guys going to do more James Bond? You've only done Casino Royale. Well, I think we just yeah. mentioned that earlier. So definitely, Justin, It's uh, once again, we put it in the pile of things to consider for sure. But yeah, I think we'd like to swing back and do skyfall and uh, maybe goldfinger or from russia with love as steve yeah. mentioned so um okay let's move on to the next uh, email what okay this one is from katie nar okay and she says hi john and steve thanks for being awesome as always you're welcome we can't help it it's just in our dna uh here is my question uh <laughs> and she says my husband and i are fans of your podcast but i discovered it first and i was able to encourage him to listen because he loves so many of the movies you were discussing robocop top gun die hard midnight run in fact many of the movies that you guys have discussed were films that he showed me for the first time when we were dating mm. very romantic film uh, yeah. films what yeah, could be more romantic than robocop yeah. i know right um, not too long ago, I pointed out to my husband that I noticed that many of your episodes are male-centric, mm -hmm. including the movies he showed me. I don't think that's a bad thing, but it was something that I noticed. Then my hus husband asked, well, what classic films are female-centric? That got us into a discussion of whether female-focused films are not often considered classics or if they simply there simply aren't enough movies that exist past the 10 years that are female-focused. Is this sexism from the movie industry? Uh, I know that's not you guys. Or is it that female-focused films tend to be romantic comedies versus serious dramas, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you so much. And by the way, the Duck Soup episode was beyond awesome. Thank you. Oh, thank um, you. 
Um, and Katie, that you remember, I said mo- episodes that went out that I was a little concerned about. I was a little concerned about Duck Soup, so I'm mm. glad that you thought it was awesome. That's great. Yeah, John, what do you think? I think this is a big question here. Yeah, I, I, you know, there are classic films like All About Eve. That's female led. Auntie Mame is female led. Um, Bonnie, uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, Cabaret. Uh, we did Casablanca already. Uh, Gilda with um, with uh, Rita Hayworth. Uh, is as a female-led film for sure. Um, we did His Girl Friday already. Um, what about all? Did we already do Little Women? Is it possibly from Bay and the uh, Mildred Pierce with Faye Dunaway? I'm oh, sorry, with uh, Joan Crawford, rather. Sorry, Norma Ray. Uh, hmm. no- Notorious is one that's uh, female-led as well. Um, Rebecca, that's one. So I think there are. An, I think there are deceptively more films that are classic films that are female centric, we, uh, if we're doing some self analysis, probably haven't done a better, haven't done a good job of trying to focus on those films, trying to make those a part of what we do here on the cinephile. So I think both Steve and I are very aware of it and we've become very aware of it independently. And also through the uh, stuff that fans have sent us to talk to us about it. So we are definitely um, going to make a point of that going forward here on cinephiles. But Steve, what do you think about the answer to this question? So, so first of all, I think you're exactly right. I think there is a tendency towards being male centric, yeah. both because of us and who we are, true, and because of what film is. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the the percentage you listed some great films, yeah, but it's like if you calculate how many movies are male centric compared to how many female centric in the history of film, I don't know if it's going to be ten to one. Yeah, but it's going to be a really, really bad ratio. That's a great point. Um, and I think too, I think you know, I think everyone who's watching right now has gotten a sense of how many movies we want to do and how <laughs> little time we have to do it. And the yeah. fact is, in between the movies that are serious ones that we plan on doing, or the Patreon picks, or the fact that important people have passed away and we follow their films, or that yeah. we do a Christmas movie, or we do a couple of months now of a director, there isn't that much time. And yeah. one of the things that happens is John and I get tired and then we go and then we think of a movie that both of us just love that is a male centric comfort film Mm. and we go, Oh, that'd be fun to do that. You know what I mean? Like, and so that happens a lot. I think to, to go to the the broader question, I think um, that Hollywood is a bunch of dudes and they have fairly limited opinions about what women are. Yeah. Um, someone in the chat posted Alien and Aliens. I think those are good examples of movies that don't follow the Hollywood principle of what mm. kind, what either you know a bunch of guys figuring out who write and direct movies, thinking they know what women are like. Yeah, and um, the um, I forgot what my and was. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Um, uh, oh, that they figure out the two things is that one is they figure out what movies they think women would like. And the other right. is they get to write who they think women are. Mm. And both of those are really big limiting factors in terms of film history. That's my yeah. opinion. Yeah, it's a good point. Absolutely. Um, all right. Uh, we we're swinging over to some Facebook questions. Is that correct? Uh, that we've sure. got, we've got a couple of those. So I'll read one of them here. Brian Cobble says, thoughts on how closely movie adaptations of books should follow the book. I understand when some parts have to be changed for the different format, but changing the whole meaning of the book is wrong to me. Starship Troopers is a good example. Wow, I didn't know that was a fucking book. Holy shit. Yeah, it's Robert Heinlein. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, What do you think, Steve, on this? As as someone who's read more books than I have, um, for sure. Um, So I think... 
I think the idea of should, what should we do is not mm. a good idea. There are, there are, I think, several different things. So first of all, in general, if it's anything bigger than a novella, you have to make changes. Yeah. You know, there's just not time to, to do, you know, a book could be 12 movies. Mm -hmm. um, that's the first thing. The second thing is that there, you have to find ways to make the internal external. Yeah. Um, you know, the Peter Weir described when we did the Master and Commander that you basically when you adapt a book, you open up the book and all the beautiful prose this fall out and mm -hmm. you're, you don't have any of that and all the internal thoughts and all that other stuff. And all you have left is what happens. And then you have to find a way to make that stuff emotional. That's hard. One mm -hmm. thing that does really bug me is when you take a classic book yeah. and name the movie that classic book and then don't do it. Like, like to me, it's like, well, why? I mean, I remember there was, uh, was it the Kiefer Sutherland Three Musketeers? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. And it's just like, well, don't, if you just do a different movie, do a movie, do that movie and call it something else. <laughs> like, why call it The Three Musketeers when it has yeah. nothing to do with one of the great adventure books of all time? That really bugs me. What, what do yet, you think? And yet that movie okay. is the highest grossing Three Musketeers movie ever made. So it's crazy to think Loved about. It. Yeah. The Keeper Sutherland, Charlie Sheen and Oliver Platt. Um, yeah. I mean, I think to, to me, it's always up to the artist. If the, if the studio has purchased the rights to the book, then the director and the writer um, are in um, are you know together to try to create or bring out the best parts of the book to tell the overall story. To me, it's about do you nail the message of the book? You can rearrange things and re do all those things you can do. And if you're doing them well and artistically, then people will appreciate the movie as much as they appreciate the book. Like Sons of the Lambs, people love as a movie and love as a book, you know. So, the, but but there right. are things that are changed around. But the overall point of the story, the overall point of what the book originally was trying to say, is there for you to see in the movie. So, as long as they adhere to that, I think that's where I go. Okay, play with whatever you want to play with, as long as you get the overall point across. Uh, for me you know when it comes to true life stories that's a different i have a different point of view yeah. on that but it comes to books that's something else so uh, so i would say uh just two two things uh, yeah. real quick the the first thing is in my opinion once you start making the movie the job of the movie is to service the movie yeah is that it's yeah. it is like we and it's so delicate and it's so hard it's like we got to hold your attention and make this an entertaining thing yeah and if that means jettisoning some things are contradicting things from the book. That's what we got to do. But the other thing that I just want to point out is that Hollywood, they buy, uh, they buy popular things because they think that'll help them sell them. True. And they buy ideas. They actually don't buy the content inside the book. Right. You know, may they, they go, okay, this is a bestseller and everyone will recognize the name right. and that's going to help us sell the movie. And we go, you know, Jaws is a good example of, that concept is what sold. It's not yeah. that Peter Benchley wrote a beautiful book. And the fact that St Spielberg jettisoned a bunch of stuff from the book was absolutely as it should be. Hollywood bought the concept. Yeah. And they bought the title. That's what they bought. Yeah. That's a good know. point. Fair point. Do you want to read the other one here from Courtney Allen Case? Sure. So from Courtney Allen Case, in the past 10 years of cinema, what has been one trend that has surprised you? And what is one trend that Hollywood needs to put in the dustbin of history? Uh, the one trend that has surprised me is Marvel. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yes. 10 yeah. years, it's basically exactly 10 years, a little bit more, it's 13 years, I guess. Yeah. I mean, who would have, can you imagine if someone came to you in 2006 and said, mm -hmm. hey, by the way, 
not only will Marvel be the biggest thing in film, but they will have TV shows about, oh, you know, about Vision and, and Scarlet Witch. They'll yeah. be doing stuff about, you know, like we would be like, what are you talking about? That mm-hmm. is insane. Uh, I think we'd all react like the king and Princess Bride. That'll be nice. Won't that be yeah. nice? We're like, no way that's true. Like, you're not even listening to someone. Possible. Say, yeah, no, superhero movies, we can barely get one good one every few years. There's no way we're going to get a, a an entire run of them and uh, create an entire interconnected universe that's going to no. spawn TV shows and books and all kinds of things that are connected to it so that you have to keep up with all this stuff. No way that I ever thought that was. So I have to agree with you that that's the one trend that has surprised me. I will say another trend that has surprised me as well is the death of romantic comedies. Yeah. That's yeah. really surprised me. I think uh, as people have embraced the fact that these movies are essential lies that they're selling you, I think we've asked more of romantic content because people are more people are reading these books the self-help books the tv shows they watch all these things so their points of views on this idea of um fantastical romance in romantic comedies uh has changed and they don't want to see those those kinds of things anymore they understand that love is actually work uh it starts it can start out beautifully but it's work to 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 make it happen and make it successful yeah and i think that's where uh, you're seeing our points of views go towards uh, as an audience. Um, another trend that surprised me is, which mm. is really sad, is is really the death of independent film. I mean, there, yeah. there, there still is yeah. independent film. It's still sure. happening. There's still festivals like Sundance where independent films come out. But it used to be mm. like from the early to mid 90s, post, um, you know, Tarantino and Soderbergh and all those people, there was a really important bunch of film that was independent film and they would play at your local theater and there was a big dvd market the dvd market collapsed right when the assistance came out mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and that that doesn't really exist anymore what we have in its place which is great is we have this incredible world of television where there are really diverse interesting more complicated things being shared but the but the but people aren't going to see independent film anymore very much yeah. at all yeah yeah um, I will say the one trend that Hollywood needs to put in the dustbin of history is these films where the female lead is absolutely already way more capable than the male lead. So why do we have to watch a movie watching the male lead stumble around like an idiot because it's been determined that he's supposed to be the hero of the piece like Aquaman, like Harry Potter. Like it's so frustrating sometimes to watch these films where the woman is, or, or even TV shows like star Wars rebels, where the female is already ready to assume the mantle of leadership. But because, but because of some old tradition or some old mythology, she has to be the one that helps the idiot man finally right. get to that position and get that. I would, I would love them to get rid of that fucking shit once and for all. It drives me nuts, well, man. The one, the one, and I think mostly maybe we're getting rid of this is mm. we want to do a story that takes place in another world, another culture. You know, we need a white guy <laughs> to go there. <laughs> yeah. Those are pretty much ending. Yeah. As much, I, and I, 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 and I look, I'll defend Last Samurai because I love that movie, but it's, Steve's it's a good right. movie. Steve's right, though. <laughs> We've done a lot of well, this. Well, the point isn't that you, that, that you, that some of those films aren't good films. Right. Right. The right. point is that no, actually, why don't you just show me a samurai movie? Yeah. yeah yeah we don't need the white guy to be the hero <laughs> that's not wrong um dances with samurai yeah that's good <laughs> uh yep. all right we've got some stream labs but do you have uh, another email you want to read or anything like that or should uh, we jump on these stream i've labs? got uh hold on i'm just looking at our list of ones that came in through twitter okay um uh let's see sorry um yep. 
here's oh oh here we go yeah uh this is from brian crusay or cruz Okay. Where is the back to school episode that you guys have been teasing us about for years? It must have come up at least five or six times on the past podcast. I, I Cinephiles Live? I, I'm ready to do it at a moment's notice. Whenever you it. want to, I'm happy to do it as a Cinephiles Live. Yeah. Let's book it. Maybe a November or December episode to give them as maybe it's yeah. a present, a Christmas gift. We'll do it. There you know. go. I mean, <laughs> it'll be I, I definitely I think definitely I don't want to do it as a regular episode no, because no. because I don't there's some there's some questionable stuff in there. Yeah. But you know, talking about the triple Lindy, I'm all up for it. Maybe we do that film, but as a like and, and we'll discuss it and give it its due, but then use it as a gateway to discuss some of the troubling aspects of 80s comedies that when we look upon it now uh, and maybe sure. how we can go about bringing back, like, cause I'd love to bring back some of those comedies in a different way. If that's possible. I don't know. Um, okay. Do you have any more? Yep. Um, sure. I got here. I'll give, I'll give you one more. Okay. What, what was the first film that affected you on such a deep level that it made you realize what the world of film could be? We kind of answered these questions during our 200th episode documentary. We did. We did um, yeah. Uh, for me, the first one that just destroyed me was Rocky. Mm. Absolutely, that right, yeah, right. Um, I think the Champ, the John Voight one, right, and then Jaws. Mm. Right, Jaws scared sure. the shit out of me, and I remember, th- God, if a film can do that. To me, Jaws was like, you know, when people talk about when we get older, Steve, and we learned about film, we went into film school or film class or whatever, and they told us how. When film was first created and put out in theaters, people actually thought a train was running them over in a theater right. and they ran screaming. Right. That's how I felt in Jaws. It was so realistic that it has forever scarred. I think both of us, I think we had this experience in common. It has scarred us from being in the water for too long or below four or above four feet of water because a shark, we believe a shark would absolutely kill us. Well, so. in, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're still not the biggest fan of going out and swimming in the ocean. I don't, I, I, I've lived on this coast for 20 years, 21 years. I have been to the beach maybe under 20 times in my entire time living here. And did you go swim out into the water? Twice. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And both times scared out of my fucking mind. Honestly. Yeah. And this goes to go all the way back to the question about film being subjective or objective. Yeah, yeah. Spielberg is like the perfect example of objectivity in film. He takes a genre and he is so fucking good at what he does with that film that you, 40 years later, yeah. are still affected by it. True. He's... That is a, that is a dude that is objectively a good film. And I'll go even one higher. I still love to watch the film, even though I know its effect on me. I still yeah. enjoy watching that movie it's and a love great that. fucking movie. It I is. still love watching that movie, even though I know how destructive it's been to actual <laughs> sharks in the world. Oh, good and point. I've made yeah. documentaries to, to counteract that movie. And I still love that movie. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, all right. Should we hit some of these stream labs? Sure. Okay. Uh, Doug developer says, which comedies do you find to be classics as kids? Uh, would the older generation find to be stupid? So, which comedies do you, do you find? Which comedies were cl- uh, that were, were classic when you were a kid? Would you think that the older generation would find to be stupid? Comedy classics for us '90s kids include Ace Ventura and Billy Madison. What did you guys think of those films when it came out during your twenties? 
So uh, yeah. I, I I was already uh, a bit grumpy by the time those films came out. Billy <laughs> Madison came out. I was in film school. So uh, at the height of my uh, assholeness about films. So I wasn't <laughs> a fan of that. Um, uh, early, uh, Jim Carrey at that era freaked me out. Like it was so much what he was doing that <laughs> I had a hard time with Ace Ventura. Um, uh, how about you? Uh, yeah, I would. I liked Ace Ventura. I really loved. It. I thought it was fun because I like Jim Carrey out of In Living Color. So I was, I was cheering for him. I wanted him to do yeah. well. So when I went to see Ace Ventura, I was very happy. I was pleasantly surprised that it was very funny. I don't like that sequel though, but I did like the first film. Billy Madison, I've never liked and never will like, and I don't get why people like that fucking film. For me, it's Big Daddy, mm-hmm. Wedding Singer, um, uh, and a couple of oh, Fifty First Dates. Those are cut above. But stuff like uh, even Happy Gilmore is on the line for me. I just have never stood people understood people's love of uh, Billy Madison. It's never made any sense to me. I, and and frankly, I think comedy is so uh, ephemeral, and mm. so much of when you saw it, the things mm. that my kid thinks are funny. <laughs> it's not just that I don't think they're funny. It's that I don't even get what the hell he's looking at right because he's on this is on like youtube stuff and there are these weird memes and there's like just a cartoon that does a weird thing and does a weird face and then there's a jump cut to some random thing and then someone screams and he goes isn't that the funniest thing you've ever seen i'm like i don't i don't know what i'm looking at i have no (laughs) idea that's perfect um let's see uh vincent zawada goes will perry be on the scream episode and can't wait for the kill bill episode um yeah are we doing a kill bill episode have we announced that or something Is that we're bringing it up? it's not not as far as i know okay. maybe he knows something we don't yeah maybe in the I future mean, know, certainly you'd want to do it right oh yeah top to bottom absolutely and we'll see about perry we'll see if the situation is if she's got time and if we can make it happen uh justin toner is following up his bond question going well since someone asked a similar bond question before you got to my previous uh, question how about this would you consider doing an episode of ridley scott's legend between its production issues and all the different cuts, I think it would make a good discussion. I didn't like it when it came out. I yeah. haven't seen all the different cuts. I yeah. was so excited about that movie mm. because I was, you know, I was a fan of Blade Runner. Yeah. I was a Ridley Scott fan. I had become a huge Tom Cruise fan. I mm-hmm. was into, I loved fantasy. I was like, finally, we're going to get a huge fantasy film. And yeah, I didn't like that movie. So. Yeah, I, I didn't like that. I don't. I, I I feel that movie is one of those middling movies. You know what I'm saying? There's some good stuff in it, but the ideas aren't fully fleshed out, and the overall uh, cuts overall. I've never seen one cut that's fully maybe like the movie, so or ignore the issues with it. You know, it's like the Coda cut for the Godfather Part Three. I'm like, yeah, sure, you cut some things, but still, the core of it is not good. It's the so, same. Yeah, yeah, it's the same. So I I don't well, know, but brother, it would depend on a situation, and maybe we'll open the door down the road. Where patrons can patrons rather can donate a certain level, and Steve and I would do an hour long discussion about the movie. Or something. I, I mean, there, as as we said, there's so many movies, and yeah. so how Legend is way down on the list, and it, it's come up before. But Ridley Scott is the ultimate of mm-hmm. great movie, two bad movies, then another great movie, and just yeah. back and forth, and has continued to do that for forty years. He's the most frustrating boyfriend you'll ever have. <laughs> uh <laughs> valerie just donated thank you valerie just said happy 250th episode very, very much. much appreciated and uh um, wayne and, oh sorry go okay. we got one no, last no, go. one from one last stream lab from wayne edwards so far it says i'm late for the show i don't know what topics were covered already i love you guys and i love the show recommendations for films 
one, the China syndrome, two, the black hole. Oh, I'd love to do black hole. Three, fail safe, four, shaft. You guys rock. Those are those are four interesting ones. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I watched the China syndrome a ton when it came out because it was like on Showtime or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be interesting to revisit that one today. Uh, black hole, I haven't seen in a long time, but loved. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I have that much to say about Shaft. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I mean, we'd, I think we'd, ha- obviously, we'd have to bring someone in for Shaft for sure, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and it could be interesting for us to explore the black exploitation genre, at least through a couple of the films. So Shaft could be interesting. I've never seen China Syndrome. Oh. So it's one of those ones that's kind of skipped from the 70s, early 80s for whatever reason. But I love Black Hole, two fucking pieces. And Failsafe, I just got on Criterion a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago. So I'd be down to do those films for sure. Uh, um, yeah. I've got another email yep. if you want to do that. Go ahead. This is yeah. from Matthew Kearns, who says, congrats on 250 episodes. Been you, listening since Wrath of Khan. Uh, my question is, if you could work with one movie, any director, living or dead, which director would it be? Thanks for all the great work you guys continue to put out. Uh, and thank you, Matthew. And thank you for sticking with us for so long. Yeah. Thank you, Matthew. What, what director, like, if you uh, get a, a casting call and you say, no, no, I don't do it. And I've retired from acting. And they say, well, this director, John, wants to work with you. I mean, what pulls you out of retirement? You know who it is. It's Wells. There's no other director pulls me out of retirement like Orson. If you bring him back to life, and I know it's going to be an arduous fucking shoot. I know we're going to shoot on seven different continents. I know he's going to have to like take off for three months and raise money. And I don't know what I'm going to do, but it would be worth it to be on a film set with that son of a bitch. And like, just hear him talk about movies or, and hopefully I get on his good side, Steve, so that I, he will actually talk to me. Cause I have a feeling he'd probably be fucking with me if I wasn't on his good side. So that would be really the number one choice for me. What about you? That would be, um, well, it's funny because I not being an actor, mm. like, and being a director, I, I was I was going like, well, here, what what about my what directors would I want to have d- direct a script of mine? Yeah, you know, and so like the uh, there's a science fiction script I've written that I really like a lot called The Good Fight. I want Steven Spielberg to do it. Yeah, that would be, oh. that would be an amazing thing because he would he would make that movie so much better, Ooh. you know, than 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 the script is. There's a um, uh, I don't know if you remember that um, script called Angel I wrote that was about a photographer and uh, oh God yeah a long time ago that's Oof. probably my some of my best writing okay and if Paul Thomas Anderson wants to do that script that would be pretty <laughs> damn amazing <laughs> you know so those are the two that come to mind for me Let, uh, someone suggest JMB suggested Clint Eastwood in a Western for Roca now I'll go one better if I, if it's not Wells John Ford I would oh, absolutely wow. absolutely if you could resuscitate John or bring him back not resuscitate but bring him back to life. I would absolutely um, uh, do a Western with John Ford. Jesus Christ. Nothing would make me like pinch myself every second of every day being on a set with John Ford and having him direct me in a Western for sure. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. What, what else have we got here? Any other emails? Uh, there are a few that, because uh, there was uh, Rob Van Steenhoven. Oh yeah. Had many questions and we kind of okay. skipped over some of them. So sure. Um, let's see. Uh Okay, so the, his question is, hypothetical, Hypothetical, you are given carte blanche by a studio. What kind of film would you make? You go first. I don't know. 
Well, it, it, it me, it's so easy. It's like the ones I just named. I'll make my films. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have I have a whole bunch of scripts that I would like to make, so that's easy. I mean, the easy choice is a Western or an action film mm -hmm. or, you know, a, even a samurai film. But you know what, Steve? Look, yes. I know you're all, I know you and Mance do Enterprise Incidents, but you know, mm -hmm. I love Star Trek, too. So I I, I think I would love to do a Star Trek film. I would love to direct. Oh, uh, me too. A Star Trek film and see if I could do something that would be remotely worthy to be considered in the conversation for good star trek movies not great doesn't have to be great just good i'd be happy with good but so i, I think that would be a great challenge for me because uh, i rarely think about you know doing a star trek movie i th think about watching them all the time but i rarely think about making one i think that would be something i would try to do especially with all the fucking chatter about three different directors and someone getting fired and different scripts and pay issues and tarantino's gonna do a star trek film Five of the cutter through all that bullshit. Go, nope, I got the money. I'm making it. Peace. I, it's so funny from doing Enterprise Incidents. Um, my Star Trek is one of the first things I ever wanted to do. My first, yeah. when I was trying to break in as a comic book writer, I sent in a ton of Star Trek proposals to write. And so it's like, it's kind of rekindled that interest. I'm, so I'm with you. Mm. Like, that would be really fun. Uh, if you're directing it, maybe I could write it for you. I don't know <laughs> if you'd hire me. Of course. Are you yeah. kidding? Yeah, that would be great. We'll get Mance to review it or Q&A us. He the better give us a good review, man. <laughs> uh, Crystal Goddess says, no question. Thank you for providing great content over the years. Congrats on 250. Thank you. Chris. Thank you, Chris. Very kind. Um, uh, I got another course. email if okay. you want to hear. Okay, yeah. this is uh, so Joe Fairley, I said, had asked many questions. So here's oh, another yeah. one of his. Um, uh, very rarely do you break the 10 year rule. Are there any movies released in the last three years that you mm. think could be next? Or are there any movies scheduled for the release that you think could break your rule? I don't think we're breaking the rule, no. but the year, uh, a year ago's Oscars between 1917 and Parasite and yeah. um, uh, Jojo Rabbit, like I, I loved, there are a lot of movies that came out mm -hmm. then that I, I would love to do someday on the Cinephiles. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, Avengers Endgame. Um, I think Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse would be a lot of fun to do. With Absolutely. Mogul, right. Um, but certainly 1917, I'm on board with you on that one and Parasite. I mean, those are just two Great. stellar, stellar movies. Um, I think Moonlight would be very interesting for us to do with a guest for sure. Um, <laughs> maybe we could hate do La La Land, but no, I mean with Mance. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> To do La La Land with Mance, Steve, we could we would probably blow up the cinephiles because Mance and I would battle all through that fucking movie. It's so it's so funny because <laughs> I know that Mance loves it. Oh my god! Someone I know said that the you same don't. Thing. Someone said uh, the same thing. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was so like, okay, I didn't. I thought it was good. I yeah. had no major reaction to it. I did. I don't understand what the hype is about. I don't think it's a bad movie at all. I think it's right. good. Fair. Um. <laughs> yeah, they're 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 they're. Someone just posted uh, Dune, and I know uh, one of the oh. other questions, maybe it was on Twitter, was was about uh, Dune. Man, I hope that movie is as good as I want it to be. It's getting good reviews, but mm -hmm. it's also getting some some not so not necessarily bad reviews, but some people saying that there's it, it, they just vomit out all this 
stuff and expect you to catch it. So if you've read the book, I, I'm, sh- I'm going to assume that you're going to enjoy yourself. Uh, if you haven't, um, like I haven't, I'm going to wonder if, or I haven't been in a long time, I'm going to wonder if I can catch everything. So uh, if their books are, it's funny, my reaction to those books, I love them as a kid. I read them many times in high school mm-hmm. and then reread them a few years ago, maybe five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. The, those books are kind of fucked up. <laughs> and particularly as they go yeah. on, like the main character, Paul, is a bad person. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. so they're, they're much stranger books that because I just thought Paul is awesome. What a great hero as a kid. And looking at him now, I'm like, he might not be that awesome. <laughs> <laughs> there might be some problems with this guy. Fair enough. Um, all right. And I, I've got no more Streamlabs uh, on my end. So do you have any more emails on your end? Or sh- I think, or we've, I think we've hit most yeah. of them. I think we've gone okay. through a fair number of questions. Yeah. Um. This is, as always, been a great conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoy reading as the comments have gone by. There have been some great, great comments, including someone just wrote No Country for Old Roca. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Which Thank I like JMP. a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just appreciate everyone who's tuning in today and everyone who supported us all along the way for 250 episodes. Yeah, pretty incredible stuff for us to get this far. And, uh, you know, this was kind of an impromptu idea a couple of weeks ago, and it kind of worked out. And it was great to get so many fantastic questions. But, you know, you worry when you're going to do a Q&A, if you're going to get some really interesting questions. And we got some great interesting questions on multiple yes. formats, both on Twitter, on Facebook, our patrons, email, and then some of you sending in your Streamlabs and Super Chats with these questions as well. So uh, it's just it's just a great experience to be part of this uh, podcast and to have so many dedicated, loyal fans fans who enjoy what we do love what we do look forward to what we do even criticize us because they want more uh and that means a lot so thank you all so much from where we started which was just a pitch and a proposal and a possibility to see where it is now it's uh it's incredible so thank you all so much for going on this journey with us and there's more to come 100%. 100%. Yep, I agree with everything John said. We clearly have our work cut out for us. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, so I don't know, true. Out of those 25, 30 more movies that got added to the list in the last two hours, but we'll, we're yeah. going to do our best to get to them. Yeah, and thank you everyone for, for supporting us on this journey. Absolutely. There's 52 weeks in a year. There's only so much we can do. Uh, Steve, What's uh, where's all the social media they can follow us at, please? They can follow us at uh, Cine underscore files on Twitter, the Cinephiles podcast on Instagram. Of course, we're always on Facebook and posting things there. Subscribe to the show right here on our YouTube channel or on uh, Apple Podcasts, where we'd love to get your reviews. You can buy or stream every movie we've ever reviewed at cinephiles.net. And you could support the show at patreon.com slash the cinephiles where you can suggest a film, you can suggest shorts, you get advanced notice on some of the movies that we're doing and get to ask questions, which sometimes we use in the podcast. Mm -hmm. So Patreon is the best place for you to support uh, the cinephiles. Absolutely. And you can find me at SR Morris. It's right there on the thing. And we've already (laughs) talked about Enterprise Incidents, my Star Trek podcast with Scott Mance, where we literally just finished the first season of the original. Wow. Congratulations. Um, Honored to be a part of it. Yeah. And uh, And, uh, we've got to figure out what episode you're coming back for in the second season. Season two. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Um, Yeah. You can follow me at the Roka says on Twitter and on Instagram uh, and and the, my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roka says we just crossed 18,300 subscribers. 
today. So just marching forward more and more. So please head on over there and subscribe to that channel uh, and open the door to all the things that are going on there as well. We just did Geek Buddies. So please listen to my podcast. We just did the What If season finale review there on Geek Buddies. So go and listen to that podcast. Also, the, the top 10 as well is out there for you all to enjoy and multiple other things that I'm doing. You guys know what I'm doing. Follow me there. Um, and uh, I think that's it from us. Thank you so much. Uh, we, here's the 250 more. Uh, and <laughs> for it growing, and please do your part to share it everywhere. Tell people about us and let people know so that we can keep growing more and more as a podcast and as a fan base and have even more interactions. And maybe someday we can have a Cinecon, a Cinephiles Con, where we have you know multiple panels with our guests, our friends, our knowledgeable people to do panels for you all as fans to come and enjoy that would be a lot of fun as well so i just came up i just came up with that on the fly who knows cinecon i'd like it i put it in the universe we'll see what happens uh all right thank you all so much we'll talk to you next time with another brand new cinephiles live episode next month y'all be well peace